So hopefully everybody has an outline. It should say living from the inside out. Wasn't the worship, wasn't Jesus good in the worship? Man, I didn't want the worship to stop. I think, oh man, I don't, I don't want to preach. I want to just keep worshiping. Anyway, so, uh, so living from the inside out. Have you ever noticed how almost everything with God starts from a hidden place? It starts from a hidden place. Our attitudes, our thoughts, which then express themselves with action, right, and works. Faith, hope, and love are tangible attitudes, and, uh, but they have incredible visible consequences. So almost, almost everything starts with inside here, right? That's the way the kingdom works, and that's where God reaches us. So He changes us. He lives through us from the inside out. So Ephesians 2, 8, uh, For it is grace you have been saved through faith, and that's the gift of God. So God gives a gift on the inside of us, right? And that's described perfectly, uh, the most important experience you can have with God, and that is to be saved, joined with Him forever and ever. And that's why the Bible calls it being born again. Something on the inside happens. Something I'll, remember, I'll never forget that. When I was a, a child and I knew that I was coming to a place where I needed to either accept Jesus or not, and I could feel it even as a young person, right? And when I made that decision, I felt like I would never sin again. I mean, it's a, a little child. And then later when I got baptized, which took every bit of courage I had to do, but it was an inner choice I had to make. I had to go up there and get baptized, which I was scared to death, you know, didn't want to do it. But afterward, I felt the presence of God. I felt, I, I knew something changed on the inside of me. And as we look at the scriptures, Jesus was always looking for faith. And God today is always looking for faith, that, that supernatural uh, belief, that something inside of us that joins our heart with His and causes a miracle. So if you look at your outline, what we experience and learn from God is directly connected to how we influence the world around us. So we all want to be a good influence in the world around around us. But I want to just read this verse here that's actually a dramatic expression of that. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Furious, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. It's amazing. He's sleeping through this thing, right? Disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? <laughs> you know, just, I tell you, when you get afraid, you say the dumbest things. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? I, when you get really afraid, you know, I think of some of the dumbest things I've ever said or done is when I was really, really afraid, right? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Wow. Jesus expected his disciples to use their faith to change that storm just like he did. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So you can see how this inside of us affects the outside of us. He expects us to calm storms. Sometimes we're in storms, but we just are listing and being blown about here and there. And all the while, the answer was inside of us. You know, and there's been times in my life, which I, you know, just were, I kind of had enough. And I just stood up and just yelled, stop it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it feels really good when you do that, but we should try it five or six times, especially if you're going through something. But I, I believe that that attitude with our mouth, we connect our mouth with our words and our words with our faith when we connect that, something happens in the heavens. Now the other side of it is, I, I know a lot of Christians 
that if somebody came up and they were like a so-called Satanist or something and they cursed us, we would freak out and, and feel like we needed to take bath for the rest of our life ten times a day. You know, just I know people that would freak out and say, please get that thing off me, get that thing off me. But someone comes up and blesses you in the name of Jesus. And, ah, okay, fine. What is that? Something's backwards. Totally backwards. We actually fear the enemy sometimes more than we do the blessing of God. We don't even, because it's all on the side. We don't believe. We don't really, we don't really understand, right? And then Jesus expected that from his disciples. He's challenging them. What, what's the matter with you guys? You know, what's, what's the matter? Do you, do you still, after all this time with me, have no faith? Well, I don't know. Man, the storm's around me. I don't know, Jesus. <laughs> and he was trying to get them to that place. The whole time he's been with them, you know he's getting them to this place, right? Living from the inside out, from the faith and the power and the love of God, right? Evidently, he expected them to say, quiet, be still. What about us? Maybe that's what he's waiting for. Maybe he's waiting for you to say, shut up. (laughs) I've had enough of this. There is a thing in God that's like that. It's not superficial either. There is a place sometimes when we get to in God where we say, you know what? Devil, just stop it. Or just, you don't have to say devil, just in the name of Jesus, stop it. I just command this storm to leave in Jesus' name. And they don't always disappear right away, but when you stay in that space and, stay, and, and be in that space, that's the right space to be in. And I believe that that gives God a chance to work. Just even a little faith, Jesus said, is the size of a mustard seed. It's amazing how our little mustard seeds get covered. Sometimes they get covered with religiosity. Like, oh, I'm supposed to be this, God, I'm going through some dealing with the Lord or whatever. Man, I tell you, I'm not that smart to figure dealings out anymore. I'm just going to, like, if it's bad, it's bad. If it's good, it's good, right? If it's bad, I tell it to get out. If it's good, it's good. Come on. That's all I do. I pretty much reduce things like that. And figuring it out in the figure it out room is just not worth it. It's no good place, right? When you live from the inside out, you just live from your spirit. You recognize what's good and what's bad. And what's bad, you get rid of and kick it out. Because the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, I can't. They might have life and have it abundantly. So we need to learn to live from that inside faith that God has born, that stepped us into the kingdom in the first place. right? And then from that space, we do business with God. And he surely intended for the disciples to do business. So when you read the scriptures, it's so great, those gospels, you, you look at them as people in training. They're in training. And so you see how Jesus trained them, right? And this huge squall comes up and says, why didn't you just tell it to shut up? What's the matter with you guys? And they're going, gosh, are you really, can we really do that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. So through the real life lessons of their life, he was teaching them constantly. And through the real life lessons of your life, he's always teaching. School is always in session to live from the inside out. Now, if you go to Roman number two in your outline, the most powerful way of life we can experience is to be acutely aware of the love and power God has for us and then release that to the world around us. For God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. So what does his spirit look like? Power, love, and a sound mind. I like the sound mind part a lot. <laughs> a sound mind. Sound mind definition. I put it down here. Doing God's will by doing what he calls sound reasoning. Now his sound reasoning isn't always our sound reasoning. So you're going to have to get used to his sound reasoning, reasoning, right? So I didn't know it, but I got a hold of some really sound reasoning. One day I'm walking by a television set. I noticed this evangelist on the television set, you know, and I'm like, 
uh, 17 years old, about to go to college. I'm, my dad's got Ivy League dreams for me and or something, you know, because I just was a really good student. And I walk by the TV, I see that guy, you know, and he's talking on the phone uh, uh, right there. And I thought, man, I like that school. I like that guy. I'm going there. I said, Dad, I'm going there. He said, no, 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 that, no, no, son, you can't, and I said, no, dad, I'm going there, that's where I want to go, that's, he's, that guy's exactly what I want to, I want to do that, I want to, I want to know more about God, I want to walk with God, and uh, so I ended up there, which was an amazing thing, you know, <laughs> but it was actually one of the best decisions I ever made, turns out I was in my sound mind, even though he didn't think it was very sound reasoning, you know, he had uh, other aspirations for me, I could have done anything, and then I met my wife, right there in line, shake hands with Oral Roberts, because I went to Oral Roberts University, and she's in the line right there, and I met her, one of the first, second girl I met, I met the girl in front of me, were you in front of me or in back of me, I can't remember which one you, you were in front of me, I should have known that, right, so I met the one in back of me first, I think, then I met her, and I and, uh, took notes, and eventually we got married, right, so that was probably the biggest reason why I went to the school I went to anyway, <clears throat> but turns out that what's a sound mind to the world isn't always a sound mind, you know, to us, or vice versa. What's a sound mind to us is not always a sound mind to the world, right? And so we just have to learn to think like God thinks, because He's not given us. So we we stand like sore thumbs, when we do not have a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. When we're thinking clearly, when we we just stick out. I mean, when we stand up, and this time it's going to be more and more obvious. The people that have power, love, and sound mind on their mind and in their heart are going to stand out. They'll stand out at every school board meeting. They'll stand out at every government gathering. They'll stand out for decisions we make in everyday life. We're just going to stand out unless you want to cave to the spirit of fear that you can just be like the whole rest of the world running around intimidated, fearful, terrorized by the events around us, right? That's the one reason. You know, one of the biggest reasons why we have even these government responses that have been so wrong, it's not even the spirit of brashness or boldness or whatever. It's this absolute terror that most of those people live under. They live under tyranny and terror. They're ruled by terror and fear. At the very root, you'll get to it. You know what? The spirit of stupid is related to the spirit of fear. Did you know that? <laughs> they're, they're just really close relatives. So look at 2b. God wants us to reason differently than the world. And so he asks him, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? That was the, the question he had for them. And I want to just read from uh, Matthew chapter 8. For a minute, uh, verses 23 to 27. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. You have little faith. But he said, but the amazing thing is that they asked him, and I just want to just say this again, is they asked him the question, what kind of man is this? And I think that as you become brave, that's what's going to be asked. They're going to ask, what kind of woman, what kind of person is this? This person, like, they don't... They're really walking to the beat of a different drummer because a person that's not afraid in our environment right now, like I've said, is, is, um, stands out like a sore thumb. So the, world, the disciples are worried about provisions and ha not having enough, and so even extended into there, which absolutely blew their mind. And sometimes, okay, we're not afraid of this or that, but we're always afraid of not having enough. And look at these verses. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Now, before this story happened, I want you to just think about something. Jesus had just multiplied all kinds of bread and fishes for them, right? He had done a miracle. 
he had multiplied twice before this story happens. Twice. I mean, they're watching. They only have a, thousands of people. They only have a few loaves and fishes. And guess what they do? They're handing it out, and it just keeps on flowing. They keep on flowing. All right. Now, this is a really important point. If you were asleep until now, wake up right now. Wake up right now, okay? Because we have a really horrible habit of doing this. And it's so bad that it's actually shocking at times. All right. So he says, be, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. He's mad at us because we didn't bring any bread. We only have like a couple of pieces of bread. And Jesus says, aware of the discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember that five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you, basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understand, and he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But the deeper lesson for them is they had a short memory. They couldn't remember what Jesus had done for them, right? And this is such a critical part, I believe, of, of, of walking with God. Don't you remember? Oh, my goodness. The power of testimony. One of the reasons why testimony is so important, we overcome them by the, the word of our testimony. It's because the word of our testimony has faith in it. It has life in it. Just because it happened 10 minutes ago or 10 years ago, it is alive and ready to be applied to the next destination, the next situation that you need. You had a miracle or a breakthrough, not only for the time that you needed it, but also for the time you were going to need it in the future. That's a really good word. Hey, that even almost rhymed or something. That was pretty good. I feel like a TV guy. I feel pretty good. All right, all right. Yeah. Uh, this is... <laughs> this is so big. This is so big. I can't emphasize this enough. This has been like a column, a fort, uh, you know, like a, a support of my life. Having a good memory. Remembering when I broke through. Remembering miracles. Not only for my own life, for other people's. I tell you, he expects that. He brings these miracles. Sometimes he brings it, uh, allows situations in our life that are so horrid and so horrible so that when we get the victory over them, they're a lifelong lesson that keeps us with God the rest of our life, keep applying it to our situations and to then other people's situations. Well, I was. And then we think, well, wow, everybody has to have like this big, huge testimony. No, what people need is lots of little testimonies. Little testimonies make the world of the kingdom run right? Your breakthroughs. And if you can remember your own for the next trial, you won't be so afraid. You won't be so timid. You won't, you'll be living from the inside out. Oh, what a great way to live. And you'll be of help to other people. Well, I was here. I, I once was lost, but now I find I was. That's the whole way people come to Christ. But what about every other area of your life? Jobs and children's situations. So I'm always looking for a good testimony for my life. What is it that you need? Boy, I tell you what, when you find somebody with a testimony, just get a hold of them and let them live off what happened with them. Hear it again, hear it again and again and again. This is one reason why Jesus allows these sort of huge things and big things to happen. And those testimonies, they last into the future and help people and encourage them, right? Look at C on your outline, number two. Paul learned the secret of contentment. We can learn, too. 
He believed and accepted God's provision for him from where? The inside out, from those inner resources. And some of those inner resources are so powerful, we wouldn't think of them as being so important. We wouldn't even think of the resources that we have as being actually any kind of answer whatsoever. But the, the funny thing of it is, we understand fully, though, that not all of our problem is just earthly. We know full well that it's demonic. Well, how many of you guys understand the ins and outs of the demonic very well, right? Uh, you know, when trouble comes. So we, 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 we give, we understand that this is happening, but then we just try to understand it all, you know? And I think uh, that's a big mistake, trying to figure out, like, and some people get so deep into uh, occultic things and trying to figure things out, they get in, in mud, right? And the enemy just plays with you because he'll just change the playbook next time and do something different, right? <laughs> you know, if I could just figure him out in his ways, then I would be fine. Listen, all you need to do is figure out God's ways and you're just fine. You'll be just fine over everything. And Philippians 4 is just like, what if you're in jail? Well, here's your prescription. And how many jails are we in today? Everybody has a jail, you know, in this way or that way. A place where we're restrained, a place where we wish we could get out or a friend or a neighbor or a business could get out, right? Well, Paul got thrown in jail. He started living from the inside out. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you... Wait a minute. Let me go, make sure I get in the right verse here. Philippians 4, 10, 30. Yeah, that's right. All right. I rejoice greatly... Okay, so I'm going to give you the background of this story after I read this passage. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show. I'm not saying this because I need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Does that mean he had no bad circumstances? No, this guy had more bad circumstances than anybody in this room. I mean, he was a horrible lifestyle. And he's speaking to the Philippians. And anybody remember what happened to him in Philippi? He got thrown in jail for no good reason. Chained up like a criminal for preaching the gospel. But what else happened in that jail? Do you remember? He just began worshiping and singing right in the middle of it. And all of a sudden, the, the shackles broke and the jail door flew open. And the guy that was over the jail freaked out and, and took him to his house and banded his wounds. And, uh, and then they went back to jail the next morning. <laughs> and, and they heard what happened and they were begging him to leave their city. A horrible situation turned good. Because Paul understood that greater is he that is in them and me than that he is in the world. And so what he did in that situation, he wasn't trying to figure out the latest, last, uh, no, the latest key to how to do this or to go pick the, the, the lock somehow or whatever. He just began to worship and praise God because he knew he was in there by demonic power. He was in that jail because of demonic power. And that had put him there. And he knew the only way out was God's power. That's why he said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Why? Because he knows that God's in charge. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who strengthens me. So no matter if I'm in a dry spot or a good spot, these are seasonal. But what stays continuous is my trust in God. I learn to live from the inside, from the resources He gives me, the resources of prayer and worship, which are mighty to pull down strongholds and to set me free, right? Wow. This little thing called prayer. Well, why don't you just pray about it, brother? You know, that's what we say sometimes. What do you mean just pray about it? That is what you do. That's, that's your way out. Worship is one of your ways out. And the wisdom that comes from that space. Sometimes in my prayer life, I'll, I'll just get a little thing of uh, wisdom. Like obviously worshiping. Have you ever been worshiping and all of a sudden God gives you the answer to a difficult problem? 
Sometimes I worship and I'm just worshiping along and all of a sudden, I need to go do this. This is what I need to do. Oh man, there's nothing to replace a great idea from heaven. But those ideas come from turning our attention to, to God, not to the intricacies of the problem. Sometimes we get so deep in the intricacies of a problem, we could tell you 17 things about our problem, why it's there. I always know a person's in trouble when they tell me, and this happened, and this happened, and I think that's what's going on, I think this is going on, and they're just got, they're totally bewildered, they're totally caught up in the thing, and, and they think they know what happened even, or maybe they're, they know the source of it, but it was the really source, it was some demon of a hell that came on somebody to do this or that, or stole something from them, from the bank or whatever, something from the pit of hell, greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, so whatever has been snatched can be snatched back. And that's what I always do. I always say, Lord, I want double for my trouble. I want double for my trouble. That's a scriptural principle, by the way. It's a kingdom principle. If I get stolen, I just say, Lord, I want double for my trouble. This is how good God is, right? D under two. Encouragement and life-giving declarations and prayer can change the circumstances around us. Let me give you the definition of prayer. Letting God use your mouth to give life to the dead and call those things which do not exist as though they did. Romans 4.17. That's a great definition of prayer, isn't it? Use your mouth to give life to the dead. Speak over what's dead. Speak over what's dying. What what, what seems like you're going to be lost. What it seems like you're going to lose. Use your mouth to speak over it. In prayer, declare it. And call those things that do not exist as though they did. That's what God does. These are the things. He calls things that do not exist as though they did. No, he does that because, not for the, as, as though they exist like pretend. No, he's, he's calling for that which is impossible, right? Those things that are not yet finished. He's already saying it's done before it happens, right? And we can live in that context as well, you know? And we, we, we just need to live in the confidence. There's nothing like confidence in Jesus. There's nothing like faith to help you through any trial. Praying in faith. Sometimes I listen to people pray. Sometimes I listen to myself pray. And all I did was I worried for 15 minutes. I wrung my hands out and just had a big complaint session, you know, and just uh, expressed how terrified I was. And I did it in the name of prayer. But at the end of it, I feel worse than when I started. I think, I feel worse than when I should have never started that, you know. It's because I'm praying the wrong way, right? I need to pray like Jesus is giving life to the dead. I need to pray and call things that do not exist, that are not present yet, into being. I need to speak to those. And that way, in Jesus' name, right? And that's powerful. It's a lot better way than the other way, right? If we look at this Peter healing the blind man, which I, I like so much in uh, Acts chapter 3. And it's, it's so great. Uh, and, you know, in Acts chapter 3, let's just turn there. And uh, Peter, it's, it's amazing. I, I just love this, this little phrase because it so expresses it so well. Then Peter said... You know, blind guy, I don't got gold or silver. That's what you're begging for. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You know, and so we know the rest of the story. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And uh, I just think that we need to put this first. We do have this treasure in earthen vessels. We can say walk, whatever it is. We can speak like that. But our faith levels go so low sometimes in the body of Christ and amongst us, right? We're always thinking of the silver or gold or the wisdom or that needs to happen or this not happen. But actually, he says, you know, I don't got any of that. But what I do have is this ability to access heaven in the name of Jesus. Get up. 
In the name of Jesus, walk. In the name of Jesus, money come back. In the name of Jesus, I want double for my trouble. In the name of Jesus, child gets saved. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, right? Wow, this example from Peter is such a great example, you know. He didn't have the resources, the medical college or the hospital to go to. He just had prayer. And that's just what you got. And we have this treasure, the Bible says, in earthen vessels. We just got to let that treasure that's inside of us, that faith, that courage, the kingdom of God, Jesus kept saying, is within you. The reason why it's within you is because God rides your faith into the miracle, right? And pulls it out of you, pulls faith. Matter of fact, your whole life is sort of built around learning to have more faith, learning to navigate the storms of life, and learning to navigate the beauty of life, learning to not be afraid. It's probably one of the biggest lessons I think any of us will uh, will learn. How many times did Jesus say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid? To his own disciples, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. So this comes to a place where actually we also, if you look at number three uh, under D there and two, cultivating a culture of encouragement. And um, I like this thought so much because it turns out that another habit that we have is we live way too alone. You know, if you're going to build a fire, you need two sticks usually, right? Three. Much more effective to put a little kindling under that. Well, what the saints are like is like the kindling. So when you light the fire, it gets bigger and and moves quicker, right? That's why we need each other. People live so alone, so apart from one another. But the body of Christ is just that. It's called the body of Christ. And then the scripture goes and talks about like some person's, you know, is the feed and someone's, you know, they has all these little details. And we all do different things, but we're, we're packing, we're loaded. <laughs> we, we don't come to church just like ordinary people, but we're carrying something. Who knows also what you're carrying when you come into a service? You never know. And, and you never know from the most unlikely of person. I've, I've received a miracle from the most unlikely of people sometimes. Some people prayed for me, you know, and I'm thinking, well, who are they? Da, da, da. And they turned out to be the avenue for my miracle. One little simple thing they said. It's just like God to do that because he loves to take the weak things and confound the wise. He hates proud, uh, pride. He resists pride, right? And it gives grace to the humble. So that means that around us, we become even more a part as part of the body of Christ. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. (laughs) You don't have to get to know people. You know, like, well, I guess I probably should get to know some people and kind of get things moving, you know. Those people are your life. If you get to know them, they're the ones that will come over to your house and pray for you. They're the ones that will help you with this. Man, I'll tell you what. As a pastor of a church, I've learned more about provision. <sighs> I mean, I can't even say it this way, but I often thought, if even if I wasn't a believer, I would go to church, <laughs> get to know people. Because I watch how many resources come of every kind. They're just laying around everywhere, you know, things that you need, things you couldn't possibly know, or information you need, or some kind of, you know, you're you're just stupid if you don't belong to a church and get to know people because just the networking of the relationships is enough to save your tuna many many times over right so we have to watch sometimes sometimes people from the enemy are like plants they understand that they understand so they come in and take and manipulate everything around you know they understand the value of relationships and contacts and they use it right ah i'm not talking about that I'm just talking about being a genuine giver because when you sow into a body of believers, you get back more than you can imagine. You can't give enough time to the church. 
I'm telling you, you can't give enough money to the church. It just comes back on your head. And I tell you what, the delivery system, you've got to watch the delivery system because sometimes a miracle will come with the most crazy thing. You just think, there's just no way. You know, I've had people pray for me, and I'm thinking, I don't have like this much faith that if you pray for me, anything is going to happen. And they pray for me, and in that weakness, in that place, I get healed. I mean, that's one of the most shocking things in my life, you know. We always want the super-duper pastor, the super-duper whatever. Hey, that guy's got a gift of healing. Okay. Well, it's true. Sometimes people have certain gifts and abilities, but we are the body of Christ, and we do fine with each other. We just have to learn to minister to one another and be a part and have faith that people can't. When I pray, I could receive something and have faith that I have something to offer. And that's where, I was going to say magic. That would ter- be a terrible thing. That's where the beauty is, right, of the church. That's where, <laughs> not magic, it's faith, it's power, it's God's power. That's where the beauty lies in the church. It's all of us together bringing parts, you know, well, I'm not a healer. Well, on that day, you may be a healer. Now, Joe's going to do this class you know, and uh, with her friend, and uh, I'm really looking forward to any class on healing I like, because when you start talking about healing, you get healing, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, and once our faith level goes up about in a class like that, of healing, you know, and it goes up, it's just like, wow, then you know, what happened was you you just became more aware of the scriptures, and, and then there's people there that are believing, and then they pray for you, and then you get well. That's why it's insane not to belong to smaller groups and gatherings and know people. You're out of your mind. That's and especially in this life to live like that. That that's out of mind, crazy thinking. Because there's treasure in these earthen vessels. That's what the scripture says. That means we got stuff. We're we're packing. We're carrying. You never know what we're carrying. Sometimes the least vessel, the one you would not expect the miracle from, comes and that's your provision. They come up and pray for you, and bam, you're well. I mean, that's a shocking experience. You, know? you always want the pastor or somebody that looks like, like they're good at it. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I watch sometimes. So we have, we'll have a ministry team up here today, as always, right? And, and they're, they're coming. I'm God bless it because it's sort of vulnerable to be up here and say, you know, here I am, you know, and I'll pray for you. It's, it takes a lot of faith for them to come up. But, you know, and, and I watch people trying to look around. Well, I wonder if who, who I mean, well, that guy looks like he's got a faith. I think I'll go over there. That gal, you know, doesn't matter. Just come. You never know. And God uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And the one you think, well, man, doesn't look like they have a, a single thing. And like, see, right over there is Mighty Heidi. She's this is Mighty Heidi right here. He's one of our secretaries. And she's so polite and so kind and so nice, but she's caring, man. She's deadly. She, she casts out demons. She's got words for you. She'll tell you something about your life you could not have imagined, right? And so there's there these mighty Heidi's are all over the place. They're, they're all hanging out all over the place, right? So we're always looking like for something else. Okay, so why did I say all of that? Well, okay, here it is, D3. All right, and this is uh, I want to just read these verses. Isaiah 35:36. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Who's saying that? We are the body of Christ. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf stop. Well, wait, wait, wait. Let's go. Let's read that again. Because I like that verse right there, uh, verse 5. Then, attaching it to the two verses ahead of it. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf uh, unstop. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. So 
Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. You guys, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees and other people, right? Then will the eyes be blind and the ears of the deaf unstopped. So when we do that, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So somebody's speaking. Somebody's saying, say. It says, say. Somebody's speaking to fearful hearts. Somebody's speaking over those diseases and sicknesses, right? And so... We, can, we have so much power, if nothing else, just to encourage one another with not only power, but just with a kind word, a good word. Oh, my goodness, I tell you, people live in such depression and heaviness because there's no one close enough to them to, to give them a kind word. That's why small groups are so powerful. You know, one of the most powerful groups on this whole campus, this whole thing that we do is the women's group, you know, on Friday. They're there every time. You know why, why it's so powerful? Because they're living from the inside out. They give encouragement. They give prayer to each other. They support one another, right? And they do it every Friday. And there's other groups like that, right? And so uh, that power on our lips that to minister to one another is how God put the whole thing together. So this is what I love what uh, Bill Johnson uh, says here. Encouragement is more, he says. This is in D3-2, down there at the end of point two. This is this. This is Bill Johnson. Encouragement is more than a use of words to make someone feel good about themselves or the circumstance. Like, oh, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. You know, I'm with you. I'm staying. You know, that's good. Consolation's good. But you know what? I'd like to get over my problem too, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you? It is supernatural in value and partners with heaven to bring forth heaven's responses. So, like, everybody knows what. Well, <laughs> I mean, sometimes we give so much more value to the devil. You know, I've known people like someone said something negative about them. And they're freaking out for three weeks. That person cursed me. That person told something normal. And they're freaking out, pulling their hair out about it. You know? And, and I look at them and go, what are you so worried about? And she says, well, that, that person, they, they put something on me. And it's been bad ever since. I said, well, unput it. Here, come here. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke that curse. I bless you instead. Amen. Amen. Done. You're done. So the problem was they didn't understand the proper value of encouragement for other people. Because actually they were right in one sense. You don't want people saying negative things to you, right? But have you considered how powerful it is when someone just says something nice to you? Someone says something nice to you in the name of Jesus. I mean, they don't have to even use the name of Jesus. So cultivating a culture of encouragement is very, very powerful. So hopefully by God's grace we have a culture of encouragement, both in small groups and in larger groups. Because it's more than just words. When we get together and encourage one another, the spirit's behind it. We have weapons that we're fighting with over our tongues, right? It's supernatural in nature. And actually what heaven does is he partners with our words for one another and brings great grace to us, right? Brings forth heaven's responses. That's why we're two or three gathered together in my name. There I am in their midst. But you can do it in, you don't have to do it in a formal prayer meeting. You can do it in any kind of meeting. I tell you, I've received so much blessing just casually from people, just friends of mine. Somebody says something nice to me, you know. You ever had somebody just say something nice out of the blue to you and think, well, that was, that was kind of cool as you said that. You ever had somebody say something negative to you? And you like, I watch people do this all the time. See, but somebody say negative and they can't, they can't get over it for five days. Somebody nice says, they say something nice to them and they, can't, they don't remember it ten minutes later. Something's wrong. Something's backwards here. We need to understand that we are the body of Christ. We got that name. That's a name. We got Christ in our name. We are collectively 
the body of Christ. And we are armed and we are dangerous to the devil, but kind and good-hearted and powerful for others. It's insane not to belong to a church. It's insane not to be with other people on a continuous basis. Your best friends are some of the most powerful people in your life just because they encourage you and help you. That's what a good friend does. But even if you don't have a best friend, just hanging around with the people of God is enough to, to change the atmosphere. And uh, some of the best people, I've been watching this a long time, and by far, without a doubt, the people that do the best in their personal lives are those that have good relationships in a Bible-believing, God-spirit-filled church, I'm telling you. So that's not too, too surprising to most of you, but to some of you, it may be. You may not realize the full import. The most miserable times of my life have been times when I've been in between churches. It's so painful, you know. You know, maybe you move to a new area or something's happened, something got disrupted or whatever. That's been some of the most painful times in my life because then you kind of sort of have to re-up a little bit. But I learn how to re-up pretty fast now because I know how God works and how God's more than well, well, willing to bless me with a great, great Bible-believing people. So Roman numeral three, a great scripture for understanding how to live from the inside out is John chapter 5, 19 and 20. Now this is my favorite part of the message. So if you've been sleeping until now, wake up right now. This is, this is uh, bordering on a life message for me. Truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Okay, so... I stopped there for a long time just trying to do what the Father was doing. Man, I learned that in the vineyard, and I just about drove myself crazy trying to figure out what the Father was doing sometimes, right? But the key is in the next verse. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So we have this thing in our church we call the Father's love. We make a big deal out of receiving supernatural love. I teach it in my class. Now, the reason why I make a big deal of it is because it came out of my own personal experience. So I'd been in a charismatic Pentecostal circles for years up until the time, and even a pastor for several, maybe a decade before I, I basically fell into the vineyard. And I did fall into the vineyard. I tried to stay away from the vineyard, and I made the mistake of going to Eddie Piorek's house one night. And, uh, and I did it in faith. I just felt that something tugging me I should go. And I was trying to figure out which church to belong to. And I was doing missions all over the world at that time. And I was just trying to find a local church to kind of park, you know. So I go to his home group. And when I go to this home group, you know, they're, they had uh, for newcomers. And they prayed for everybody afterward. And I, okay, so let me just tell you a secret about churches and church life. And not all movements are the same. There are things that churches carry that are strengths. Some churches have this as a strength. Some churches have that as a strength, right? And so churches have various strengths, right? But they should have pretty much all the strength that, that the, the Bible offers for sure, right? But, but uh, I didn't understand exactly what uh, uh, a Mission Viejo Vineyard was carrying, but I also didn't understand what the entire vineyard was carrying because we were new to the vineyard. I didn't understand. So every church, every group has a genetic code kind of God puts in them. They're kind of good at some things and maybe not as good at other things, but they're really good at certain things, right? So it turns out that when I was watching, when I first got to the vineyard, I would watch people all the time. So many of you in my Life in the Spirit class have heard me talk about this, but I'd watch people, you know, and it was so amazing because they would sing these love songs to the Lord. I was used to sort of like, this is the day, this is the day, you know, yeah, yeah, happy, happy songs. But they would sing on another level, right? 
and uh, they would do the happy songs, but they also do these other songs. They were just beautiful songs. But then I would notice that when at the end of it, they would come up for prayer and everything, and people would be weeping and crying and actually honest, you know, and they just laying on the floor. John would say, you know, hey, all of you that are struggling with homosexuality, come up to the front. And I'm thinking, there's nobody on the planet that's going to, you know, 50 people will come up. You know, I'm thinking, what the heck? This is the most sinful church I've ever seen in my entire life, you know. You know, stuff like that, you know. I mean, this blatant, obvious, horrible stuff. I mean, like, golly, you know. It made me blush some of those things, you know, they come up for it. And I'm thinking, you know, all you guys that have been having trouble with pornography, come on up. And nobody's coming up for that. And then all of a sudden, a hundred guys are up there. And I'm thinking, wow. And they'd be up there. And then the other thing was, they would be weeping and crying. And uh, I was thinking, wow. I mean, they would be fully turning and and the blood of God falling on them, the tears on their face, you know, and at that time I'm thinking, man, he must have really been in bad shape. He must have really done some really bad stuff. But the whole row's like that. I'm thinking, man, how much sin do these guys get? They're just, I didn't even understand the whole concept of repenting like that, right? So I really never had like that. So, and they would just do that, but it would happen like, I thought, well, this is the only Sunday it's going to have. This must have been a special Sunday. But week after week. All right, all you that, you know, whatever horrible thing you were doing, right? Come up. Up they would come, you know, and he'd have these words of knowledge, real specific things, and they pray, right? So I told you all that to say this, that the vineyard movement, we're a part of the vineyard movement, we, we have this thing called compassion. It's like a mercy gift over us. It's different movements have different emphases, but we have this thing, you know? It is, I, I call it the heart melt anointing, just this way of open honesty and everything, but the way the Lord comes and melts your heart. We, we have that in us. It's a ministry of compassion. It's a ministry of the love of God. So we see this scripture here, John 5, 19 and 20, right? Truly, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. So the Father loving the Son. There's an impartation from the Father. The, the, he, the, he lived off of love, for the Father loves the Son. And then the next step is revelation and insight. What are you doing, Father? What are you doing? So <clears throat> in that space, I've learned to live. It is like become the hallmark of my life, because when I came to the vineyard, I started getting this love. And when I started getting touched by love, I started noticing other people. I started noticing things on a level of revelation. So there are a lot of people that have a prophetic anointing. You know, they like to prophesy or get a word for people and all that. But I tell you, without love, it gets really dangerous. You see, because you might pick something up, all right, in the spirit, but without the love to interpret it or understand it, sometimes it gets to be a game. It becomes weird. It becomes twisted in a way. It becomes more for the... And then people are competing to each other to see who can get the biggest word, right? You know, it's the strangest, competitive, weirdo thing that people get into with regard to prophecy sometimes. But when love comes, when love is rooted and grounded you on the inside, the Father loves the Son, and He's showing Him what He does. So I found out that then I got whacked. Went to Eddie's house. Love of God fell on me. I didn't even know what it was. All I knew was I hadn't probably cried in five years, and now I am like on my face crying, buried in like halfway stuck into a couch, embarrassing myself totally, I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm stuck in this couch, crying my eyes out, thinking, what in the heck is happening to me? I was so out of touch with my emotions, I'm thinking, like, this is some weird foreign thing that's possessed me. But it feels pretty good, so I think I'll just stay stuck in the couch for a while longer. So I did. I just stayed there, you know, cried and cried and cried. And then I had to have, okay, so finally, I'll go, so I, I'll come to Eddie. I said, Eddie, what in the heck? What, what's going on here? 
well, I'm a nervous wreck. Why did I, I mean, am I, am I having a nervous breakdown? No, he said, you're just having the Father's love. I said, what? But why does it make me like weep? Why does it make me feel, I don't like feeling weak. I'm undone. And he just began to teach and explain to me what I, now here's, I am a pastor in the church and I know all about signs and wonders and miracles and this and that, but I didn't understand an impartation of love. For the Father loves the Son and then he shows him what he's doing. So when you get compassion, you can see forever what's happening in a person. When I get compassion, so this is my rule. Right now, right now we deal with so many homeless people, so many people that are in difficult place, and it's overwhelming sometimes. But when I get love eyes for them, I know exactly how to talk to them. I mean people on the street. I mean, uh, I've had the most hilarious experiences. I, I stopped asking a bunch of questions I used to ask. Like, do I give that guy money? He's just going to go probably spit it on booze. He's probably going to do this or that. I stopped asking that question a long time ago. If I feel compassion, I just go right up. Hey, how's it going? What do you need? You know? And I just have this conversation. And when I'm loving that person, I get suddenly God gives me the information I need about them, what I should do. In other words, you, you don't know what to do with this person, you know? You think, well, I gotta, if I go over there and I find out they're having a hard time, I'm going to have to put them up in a hotel that I can't just leave them. No, you can leave them. <laughs> or you can put them up in the hotel. You just do what love says to do. Whatever you want to do. You're free. A little or a lot. You're free. See, when you're free and love's pounding in your heart, I'll tell you, the works and discernment goes off the scale. You begin to see things you never saw. Because the religious spirit chokes you every time. If you have to minister, if, if you have to minister to the poor because it's on your checklist to do, you're, you're, you're going to have a really hard time ministering to the poor. But if you... Minister to the poor because God touches your I want to button, your love button, then you're free. You can give a million dollars or two dollars. It's okay. And you can pray over here or not pray over there. You can go over, you're free. But when the freedom comes, you know, for the Father loves the Son, shows him all he does. So you feel this love from the Father and, he, and you begin to see what's going on. Hey, I'm, I think I'll go do this. Hey, I'll invite, hey, you know, and you get an idea. And hey, maybe we should do this and that. And so the guys are, and gals, mostly guys and gals now, working in our sort of department. I see Janice over there. This is a way to function, right? Because the needs are so powerful and overwhelming that if you don't have love inside guiding you, you just get freaked. You'll just go, you won't last two days doing it. But love will cause you to do things you would never do. And love causes you to hear things and get wisdom you could never get when you're in a religious state, right? And so one of the biggest problems with ministering to the homeless is people get religious about it, you know? And they feel guilty for not doing more or whatever. Oh my gosh, do not do anything out of guilt. That's the worst possible place you could be. Because then you're going to go do it, not enjoy a thing you did, and then feel bad because you did it, because, see, I knew. I gave him that money and went out and bought liquor. You know? And you're always in this place. And you're, it's like a rabbit. You know, I, mean, I mean, not a rabbit. A, a person chasing their... Rabbits don't have tails. It's like chasing your own tail around. You're just going around and around and around, around in a religious swirl, right? And then you go, ah, forget it. I don't want to administer it. Those people, ah, you can't minister to... Helpless drug addicts. Somebody's got to take care of them. It's not me. Oh, that's a horrible place to be. Hey, you just where the spirit of Christ is, it's freedom. Where love is, it's freedom. For the Father loves the Son, and He shows Him what He's doing. So you can do what He's doing, right? Or you cannot do it. It's free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But when you give a person a liberty and you put love with it, oh my gosh, you should see how much they'll do. They'll go way beyond. The normal, right? And so I love this so much. Living from the inside out is this passage, John 
5.19, Jesus lived from the inside out. For the Father loves the Son and shows him what he, all he's doing. And he will show even greater works than these so that you'll be amazed. He says, I can't do anything by myself. So we know that, right? So I don't want to belabor this too far, but it's such a powerful principle. When you get a hold of this, first of all, when you know that God loves you, then what happens to me is I just know how to handle myself in the world. Lord, is that one mine? Nope. Oh, okay. Lord, is that one mine? Nope. Oh, God, I feel so sorry for that. Well, that's probably yours. (laughs) Off you go. For the Father loves the Son. So you have to have something in the tank, though. And that's what we talk in my class so much, and we talk around here so much about receiving love from God. Because once compassion comes, we love what? Because He first loved us. Then we start showing compassion. But some of us are so miserable in our walk with the Lord, it's very hard for us to show any compassion to anybody because we're so busy being miserable about our own life, right? When he felt the tenderness of God, Jesus could respond freely and appropriately to every situation. That's how he did it. That's how he did it. That's how I know where I'm at. I'm learning more and more about this. As a pastor, everybody wants me to pray for them because they think that I have like this whatever, you know. Well, I hope I have some kind of annoying prayer, but the thing is, I'm not supposed to pray for everyone. I might not be the one carrying your miracle. Somebody else may be. And it would have to be like that because we are the body of Christ and that's the way it has to work. Otherwise, we'll never get anything done. It's much more powerful. Can you imagine all of us like anointed Jesuses out there in the marketplace noticing things, having compassion for people? Compassion will cause you to do things you would never do in the natural. And also compassion does another thing. This is really important. It also lets you say no. Do you know that? Compassion lets you say yes and it lets you say no. You're in perfect freedom. Right? And if you've said no in the wrong way, God will tell you about it and then you grow. Right? But without that, we don't grow. We will never be able to reach the broken of our area without this freedom. And love is at the core of it. For the Father loves the Son. So then once you, then He shows you what he's doing. Oh, there's no more powerful principle. And so in the vineyard, we have a unique uh, angle on this in the sense because there's some kind of mercy gift that the whole movement has. So it's available to all of us just for the asking, you know, just bringing God's love to us. Lord, come, Lord. But when we do that, watch what happens next because then when you feel loved and if you feel encouraged, you get eyes for other people. And you need this divine power to do it. And I always thought about, I always used to work in prophetic and power all the time, which is okay, because Jesus said to heal the sick, raise the dead, and I just do it, you know. But now I, I try to, to try to not only do that, but try to just hear that little voice on the inside. God, what, or I, when I feel compassion, or what, I, I, I sort of respond to it. And uh, it's a lot more fun, and it's easier, and also um, I just like being close to God if I'm going to have to minister in difficult situations. Right? So sometimes God's going to insert you into some very difficult situations, but you've got the love of God in you, you can go forward. And because of the mantle the Lord put on us for the poor and the weak in our area, you know, that warehouse that we've done has been very, very painful for the first several years especially. And there's all kinds of things that we have as a church that we, and problems and things because of the people and because of the crowd and whatever, you know. Ah, but it's all worth it because of love, because we're do- it's such a great thing. 
to see people healed and delivered and to give them furniture or give them clothing or whatever. It's just, I don't ever want to lose the freedom in it. When I lose the freedom in it, I can't do it anymore. But I get into a legalistic thing or to try to earn God's favor. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think puts it better. I don't want any of the I just want the love. I just want to, and I want to, you know, and that'll, I never have done that with a mic before. Probably ruined it. Anyway. So last verse, to be or not to be. 10, 14 to 18. John, I'll finish here. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. When you start laying down your life on your own accord, that's where the grace and the power is. I have authority to lay it down and authority to lay it, take it up again. This command I received from my, my father. Okay, he didn't have to do it. He said, I give you authority as my son. You can lay your life down or take it back again. It's okay. Oh, and he chose to lay it down for us. And he did it from genuine love, from how that works out in the Trinity, I don't understand, but he chose to love us. He chose. He could have avoided it. It wasn't part of some great cosmic plan that was, you know, he had to do. It, it was something that was somehow, I don't know how it works in the Trinity, but somehow there was some sort of choice involved. And that makes the beauty of the cross even more beautiful and Jesus even more beautiful because it wasn't just an automatic, like, for done deal he walked this life and he made the choices and ultimately he made the choice for us right he loved us and the father gave the same choice he made the same choice the father made it then the son made it and the spirit ministers that same choice to us today amen living from the inside out let's all stand oh man as I was saying that I can just feel the weight of the spirit just I'm getting all weepy uh, just coming, coming, coming. Holy Spirit, you are so very welcome. Your Father, you give us so much choice and so much latitude and so much freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Lord, we choose to serve the weak of our area. We choose to serve our neighbors. We gladly do it. Just keep us in your love, Lord. Just don't ever let us lose a taste of your love. Help us not to get legalistic or in a place where we feel like we were bound. Lord, I don't want to be bound. I just I want to do it freely. Freely receive, Jesus said. Freely give. Lord, we thank you for what we have received. There's some wonderful people in our church that minister to us through, a, through and let the Holy Spirit use them and they're called our ministry team. And uh, could I just have you guys come up and I'll be up here a little while too. Freely receive, freely give. So we're going to pray for you. Anything that you need. But could you just hold your hands up for a minute? I want to just release. I release the love of the Father. As our 
teams are coming up. Well, feel free if you have a need in your life and you want some really specific prayer. Feel free to come. They might be carrying your miracle and you don't know it. But as you worship there, Dave, or Kurt, oh, my favorite for this. Kurt's got an anointing for what I'm talking about. What I mean is when he sings, he's got this golden voice that causes the love of God to drip. Lord, I want to ask you as we just worship here, just as we have our hands up, would you fill us with love again and freedom again? Would you take the shackles off of us and the guilt? I break the power of guilt. Guilt is the stupidest thing everybody ever carried. Just take it to the cross and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I remember what I should be. Now, receive his love. Holy Spirit, would you just come as we got our hands up worshiping? Would you, would you just minister love to us? Just let, it, let God just come on you, okay? Holy Spirit, you're so welcome in this house.